Good morning. Our scripture reading for this morning is from John chapter 16. I'll be reading from verse 16 to 33. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using the figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered to each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, family. How you doing? Good morning. Let's pray, and we'll get right down to work.
Father, we posture ourselves uh, before you as needy kids, recognizing that we, we bring so little um, into this room, uh, but we need to receive uh, a whole lot. And so we pray together, as Jesus, you taught us to pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done in our hearts and in our lives. We pray that your will would be done on earth, right here, as it is in heaven. We pray today that you would give us the daily bread that our souls need to be nourished for one more day, walking by faith and not by sight, that we would not be worried about tomorrow, but be content with how you meet our needs today. We pray that you would incline our hearts to forgive those who have wronged us yesterday and this week, rather than harboring grudges or seeking our own vengeance but that we would forgive in the same way that you so generously and undeservedly forgave us. Help us to be liberal with that same kind of grace. Father, lead us away from temptation and deliver us from evil. You know our feet are so quick to run from you. Our hearts are so filled with temptations. Deliver us from these things. And remind us today again that yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory so that we can be free from our tendencies to build our own kingdoms or pursue our own glory or project our own sense of power. And Father, we want to pray one more time again for the people of Ukraine who are experiencing profound suffering. Father, you promise that you will be near and close by those who are crushed and broken and that you advocate for and rescue the weak and the oppressed and the voiceless and the powerless. And so we pray where people are experiencing profound injustice because of our broken kingdom in Ukraine, that you would, you would be present in rescuing ways and that you would stand against the oppressor and that you would rescue the oppressed. And Father, we know that injustice is systemic around our globe. Um, fruit of the broken kingdom of our rebellion and we pray today that your kingdom would come in places that are really dark and where there is injustice that a little bit more of it today would be eradicated and that you would be present as the true and just and righteous king a voice to the voiceless power to the powerless rescue to those who cannot rescue themselves and standing against those who would project power for their own gain and the suffering of other people. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we keep on in John 16 today, our, our series theme, Jesus is Life. And as Heather read for us, I'm sure you picked up on what is an inescapable theme in this portion of Scripture, and that is sorrow. It's an inescapable theme, and that's appropriate because sorrow is an inescapable reality in our broken world as well. Sorrow needs no introduction. So this is the intro to a sermon. You're supposed to give definitions and all the things, but sorrow doesn't need an introduction. I was at a birthday party last night. Uh, another member of our family turned 40, which is an absolutely glorious thing because it just bumps our median age up just a little bit more, and I'm a little less alone. Um, and it's a milestone, because look, I'm just saying, like you turn late 30s, early 40s in our community, like you might as well have a reservation at a nursing home, because it's just right around the corner. Like, 
Uh, we're so young here. You're so young here. Anyway, I'm at the party. I knew most of the people, but there was one guy in particular that I didn't know. So I needed to be introduced to him, and really, he needed to be introduced to everybody at the, at the party uh, so that we could all know who he is. Sorrow is the guest at a party that needs no introduction because everybody at the party already has their own personal relationship with this companion who goes by the name of Sorrow. Kind of a silent companion, sneaks in and sneaks around, but I just none of you need an introduction to Sorrow this morning. You also don't need a definition up on the screen. Sorrow really is kind of self-defining. It defines itself for you in the experience of sorrow. Um, And honestly, sorrow is so powerful that it comes to define the people who are sorrowing. So it it doesn't need a definition either. I think it's interesting, earlier in this chapter, Jesus refers to sorrow, I think it's in verse 6. Yeah, he says, Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. That's what sorrow does. It, it fills a heart. Um, what's the hymn that some of you grew up singing? When sorrows, like what? See billows roll. That's an appropriate picture. See billows are rolling, but it's like my heart is open or my mouth is open and I'm just, I'm just taking in sorrow as the billows roll over me, right? It's inescapable. Now the problem is your heart is not created to endure the weight of sorrow for an indefinite period of time. In fact, sorrow is so heavy that if your heart has to endure sorrow for too long without release or relief, it implodes in on itself. It collapses under the weight of sorrow. You can't can't bear it. That's why there's language in the Bible for us that, that goes like, God saying, I am near the brokenhearted and I save the crushed in spirit. So if you experience sorrow without relief, Jesus would say your heart is filled with sorrow and then it's overflowing. So the, fill, the sorrow-filled heart becomes a sorrow-overflowing heart and God gives us the language of brokenhearted or I think most uh, appropriately, the crushed in spirit. That's sorrow. The big idea from the text this morning is right here. The resurrected Jesus sees your sorrow. He leans into your lament and He is with you in your weeping. And as certainly as Jesus walked out of that grave, Father, Son, and Spirit will turn your sorrow into joy. The resurrected Jesus sees your sorrow this morning. He leans into your lament and He is with you in your weeping and is surely as Jesus got up and walked out of that grave, He will turn your sorrow into joy. There are a lot of ways in which God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit work together as a family to alleviate or to turn our sorrow into joy. There are three that I want to point out to you from the text this morning. I could point out to you 300 from Scripture But one, we don't have that kind of time, and I'm just going to attribute one to each member of the Trinity this morning and call it a day's work, okay? That'll be good for us. Here they are. The Son resurrects and overcomes. So in my sorrow, I can have confidence that my sorrow will turn to joy 
First, because Jesus resurrected and he overcomes. Secondly, because the Father is with me. We'll unpack that a little bit. He's, he's present. Um, for those of you who like theology, there's a word for that. His imminence. Not that something is about to happen, but that something is always close by. Like God is imminent. He's, he's always near. He's always present. Whether you feel him or not, he, he, he's the God who is, the God who is near. And number three, the Spirit tells me what is and will be true. And I'll show you why we so desperately need the Spirit to be speaking truth about reality right now, but especially what is to come and why we need His voice to be louder than our own voice when we are sorrowing. So let's begin with the first one, the Son resurrects and overcomes. So this passage is bookended by those two ideas we kind of start with the resurrection theme and it closes, we heard it as, as Heather read Jesus' final words, his encouragement for us to be encouraged or to take heart because he has already overcome the world. So we, we see first in verse 18, some confusion, right? Jesus had said these things. He's like, hey guys, in a little while this and a little while that, and then this will happen and that'll happen. And true to form, as happens all the time, the guys are like, they're talking to each other uh, they're not speaking directly to Jesus right now. You would think by now they'd figured out that Jesus not only hears everything, but like knows what they're already thinking. Nonetheless, they're trying to discreetly be like, yo, what, what in the world is he saying right now? Verse 18, they were saying, hey, what, what does he mean by a little while? Uh, my favorite line, we do not know what Jesus is talking about. <laughs> Guys, can I just tell you how much permission that little verse gives us as followers of Jesus. Guys, pride runs systemically through God's family, and it's a cancer. And this verse gives us the permission to be a humble people and say, you know what? I don't know. There is no pressure for you to have figured out everything that Jesus has said and to be a master of communicating it to other people. One of the most appropriate things that we can say as God's kids, more often than we probably do, is I don't know. I don't know what he's trying to say right there. These guys had spent three years, 24-7, with Jesus. If anybody could have mastered everything that Jesus said, it would have been them, but they had not. So guys, there's a whole lot of permission here. If there was a line for us to stand up and admit this about ourselves, let me just tell you, I'm first in that line, and I hope all of you would follow in so that that's the culture of our family. There are just some times we don't know. They don't, they don't know. So... Uh, Jesus is kind to them, though. He, he, he says, hey, uh, he, it says, verse 19, he knew that they wanted to ask him, but they didn't. So he says to them, hey, is this what you're asking yourselves? Is this what you're talking about? What I mean by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. So notice what the contrast there. Uh, now you see me, now you don't. Or actually, it's now you don't see me, now you see me, right? So that's the contrast that we're working with. There's going to be a season where they don't see him and something will be true. That's sorrow. And then there will be a season where they do see him, and something will be true. Sorrow turns to joy. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you. Now those are important words. Truly, truly. Some of you grew up in the verily, verily world. That was me. I was a verily, verily guy. Truly, truly is fine. There are other synonyms. But Jesus doesn't say that a whole lot. So when he says truly, truly, or verily, verily, which Jesus never said, by the way, never said verily, verily, um, that, that's a clue for us that these words are important. So maybe you're coming near to the end of a, a Bible study or something. That would be a fun study. Go through the New Testament and find every occurrence of Jesus tipping his hand as he's about to say something really impactful through those two words. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Then he gives this example that I'm just not really expert enough to kind of speak to very well. But he says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. I was just glad the hour had come. But when she has delivered the baby, look at this. Look at these words, though. She no longer remembers the anguish. Tuck those words away. Maybe you don't need to remember anything else this morning. She no longer remembers the anguish. Why? For joy that a human being has been born into the world. So she no longer remembers the anguish for joy. Verse 22, so you also, so also you have sorrow now, but hear, hear those words again. I'm going to see you again. And when I do, when I see you, your hearts will rejoice and no one, no one will take your joy from you. All right. Sorrow is going to enter their hearts because of separation from Jesus. That's not unique for them. This is Jesus is talking right before he goes to the cross. So he's going to tell them how they're going to feel after Jesus' death and before his resurrection. It'll be a season defined by sorrow. But that's not just true of Jesus' death and resurrection for, for, for created beings, for us. That is the pattern that is always true because you were created to have a joy-filled heart in God's presence. So separation from Jesus always leads to sorrow. Separation is the fruit of that sorrow, if you will. So, some of us right now have profound sorrow in our hearts because we have willfully taken steps away from Jesus. And absence of Jesus always leads to sorrow in our hearts. So some of us are that kind of way right now. However, it's also true, broken world, broken kingdom, we talked about that last week. Much of the sorrow in your heart is not necessarily your responsibility. The sorrow is there because in our broken kingdom, others, many others, all others, have taken steps away from God. And so rather than submitting to Jesus joyfully and living for the good of other people, they have lived in such a way that has caused woundings in the souls of other people so that there is sorrow that exists in my heart because other people have distanced themselves from the God who has created them. So both reasons, right? Both sources of sorrow. But the key is, Jesus is saying, my distance or separation will be the source of the sorrow that is in your heart. But when I see you again, so when the resurrected Jesus sees you again, when the distance is closed, the sorrow becomes joy, and it's the kind of joy that nobody else can touch. Circumstances cannot take away from you. So guys, there's a word there for us this morning, for those of us who are sorrowing. When you are inside of the resurrected Jesus, He begins to change your sorrow into a joy that is a, an enduring joy greater than our circumstances. So Jesus resurrected and He sees. And when Jesus sees, whatever He sees, whomever He sees, follows that same pattern where um, a resurrection occurs and the sorrow is resurrected into a joy, if you will. So Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, breaks the death grip over him in the grave and he walks out confidently. And now he says, in this, with the same power that walked me out of the, that I walked with out of the grave, I walk into your life and that same 
power breaks the death grip of sorrow in your soul and introduces joy. Our confidence that our sorrow will turn to joy has nothing to do with ourselves and it has nothing to do with our circumstances. It has everything to do with proximity to the resurrected Jesus. And that's good news because the resurrected Jesus walks into all the dark and lonely places of our broken world. The good news of the gospel is not that you have to get to the resurrected Jesus, but that the resurrected Jesus comes to you in your sorrow. The good news of the gospel is that you don't have to be so religious that I'm so happy I don't have any sorrow, so I'm good. The good news of the gospel is that we are a sorrowing people and that Jesus jumps into the deep end of our sorrow and breaks the death grip and gives life. So it's March 13th. Yo, summer's almost here. And if you don't know it, like if you're new to Oki, let me just tell you, the three best months in Okinawa, are you ready for this? Write it down. June, July, and August. Like four tastes, oh, boo, boo, boo. Four tastes of the kingdom, baby. It's glorious. So anyway, we got a taste of it yesterday, right? At least in the sunshine, not, maybe not the temps. So the kids are like, Dad, we got to go to the beach. I'm like, all right, but listen, that water is cold. So I'll take you there, play in the sand, whatever, and then we'll, we'll come home and have lunch. So they put their swimsuits on, we go to the beach, and what do they do? They're in the water, baby, they're in the water. Well, props to them, they log probably 20, 25, 30 minutes, and then they start tapping out by age order, youngest to oldest. So <laughs> Owen first, like, comes out, and he's, like, not even really moving. It's just, he's, he's like, Dad, I can't feel my body, his lips are blue. I'm like, it's cool, you're just pre-hypothermic, wrapping a towel, sit in the sunshine, you'll be good. And then Johnny, and then Emma, man, she was just, she, she only got out the water because we were leaving. Owen comes up and he sits down next to me in the sun, shivering, blue lips. There was an icy grip over the, his soul, if you will, from being in the frigid waters. And he sits down in the sun. And after a couple minutes, he's like, Dad, I can feel my fingers. And he's like, Dad, I can feel my toes. And then his lips weren't blue anymore. And then he stopped shivering. And then a smile returns to his face. Did he do anything in his own power to break the ice grip of that water over his body and have life restored to his veins no what was the one thing that changed he was in proximity to the sun and the sun thawed the icy death grip of the pre-hypothermic stage of his body guys that's what the gospel is telling us this morning being in proximity to jesus is the one reality that will break the, the pre-hypothermic state of your heart where sorrow has its cold death grip around your soul and the resurrected Jesus steps in with a little, kind of like a, a little bit of a Hulk action and all he does is flex his redemptive muscle a little bit and it shatters the death grip of sorrow in your soul and it begins to replace it with joy. So the first and most important reason that you can be confident that even while you're in the valley of the shadow of death with sorrow that your sorrow will turn to joy is because the resurrected Jesus will accomplish it for you. And he's not just resurrected. Look at how he, he closes the chapter in verse 33. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Guys, that's really good news. The world is the source of all of our sorrow. So the world, as a word, kind of represents all of systemic rebellion against the God who created us, okay? And so, all of our sorrow flows from this reality of rebellion. We already kind of talked about that. 
And what does Jesus say here? He says, I have already overcome the world. So Jesus has overcome the source of all of our sorrow. So while sorrow endures in our lives right now, it is a vine that has already been chopped at its roots. So it's still bearing a little bit of fruit, still producing some darkness, still producing some sorrow, but Jesus is like, I already, dis- I already chopped it off at the root. I have already overcome the world. So the good news for us this morning is the very thing that you feel is currently overcoming you with sorrow has already been overcome by the resurrected King. It is on its way out and it is dying. And as it dies its slow and ugly death, Jesus is replacing that death with life in your life as He turns the sorrow into joy. So not only is He the resurrected King, He's the resurrected King who has already overcome the world, the source of your sorrow. And by those words, He means the sorrow will not have the final word over your life. Jesus has the final word. And the final word is, I will turn your sorrow into joy. Like the woman who just gave birth, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy. It's not so much that Jesus takes the sorrow away as much as His resurrection transforms the sorrow into joy. And the joy is that much more beautiful and that much better so that it changes our memory about the sorrow as He replaces it with joy. The resurrected King. Secondly, we can have confidence even while we're sorrowing that joy is coming because our Father is close. Look at these words right here in verse 32. We're going to go backwards through the text for a minute. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet, I am not alone for the Father is with me. So Jesus was telling him what would happen at the crucifixion. They were going to scatter. He would be alone. But notice Jesus' words. He says, yet... I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. Now, if you have repented of your rebellion and believed in Jesus as your rescuing King, the Bible would use language like being in Christ. So if it is true of Jesus here, it is true of your experience as well. So just as Jesus could say that even though I am absolutely alone, I'm not alone because the Father is with me, we can also say that though I am absolutely alone, in my aloneness, I am not alone because the Father is with me. In my loneliness, I am not alone. In my isolation, I am not alone. In my sorrow, I am not alone. In my separation from my family, I am not alone. In my singleness, I am not alone. In my uh, lack of children, I am not alone. In In this divorce, in this divorcing, in this separation, I am not alone. In my depression, I am not alone. In my greatest sorrow, I am not alone. The Father is with me. The Son is with me, and the Spirit is with me, all three together collaborating to turn my sorrow into joy. Yet, or even though I am though I am alone, yet the Father is with me. Guys, the Father is with us. And that's our hope, right? Because Psalm 23 talks about a valley that we know as the valley of the shadow of death. We will all walk in that valley at some point or multiple points in this lifetime. And culture would say, the ethic of our culture would say, you can do it. You can, you crush this valley. You own this valley. You're bigger than the valley. You're better than the valley. Muscle through. You're good. Well, those are all lies. The valley's way bigger than you. It's way darker than you can handle. 
it's going to last way longer than your heart can bear. Your heart will implode under the weight of the sorrow that you experience in the valley of the shadow of death. You can't do it. You will suck in the valley and the valley will suck the life out of your soul. The good news of the Gospel is not that you have to be stronger than the valley or that you have to have greater endurance than the valley throws at you. The good news of the Gospel is that the Father is with you in the valley. So yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. What's the first reason we will fear no evil? Not because I'm awesome. But yeah, he's with me. My, my dad is with me. His presence, his imminence, his nearness. He's bigger than the valley. He's stronger than the valley. He will endure past the valley. And actually, his promise to me is he's going to carry me out of the valley. And actually, his promise to me is though others would use the valley to destroy me, he has nothing but redemptive purposes and he will restore me and redeem and make beautiful what is broken. So yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because my Father is with me, my resurrected King is with me, and the Spirit is with me, and I will be... Uh, I will be comforted by Him and He will provide for me and give me uh, food to eat even in the presence of my enemies and a place to lay the head of my soul. So the second reason that we have nothing to fear is that our Father is with us. And He's not just with us in some detached, impersonal kind of way. Check this out. I love this in verse... Uh, where are we at? I think I flipped my page. There we go. 26. I love this. In that day, Jesus says, so after the resurrection, uh, you will ask in my name. So you're going to pray in my name, he says. And I do not say to you, look at this. I'm not telling you that I'm going to ask the Father anything on your behalf. Doesn't that sound opposite what you normally hear about Jesus? Like, wait, 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 wait. Jesus intercedes for me. Uh, yep, true. Uh, Jesus advocates for me. Yep, true. Um, all these things. But look at what he says. I don't need to ask the Father on your behalf because the Father Himself loves you. Guys, some of us have a really cold view of our Father. It's as if the Father and the Son share a phone and every time we call, they're like, now nah, you get it. Now nah, you get it. Now nah, you get it. And the Father always wins. He's like, I'm not talking to Him. Uh, I'm not talking to her. Like, you remember the last time they called? Or the, I don't remember the last time they called. Like, you get it. And Jesus takes it and He's like, hey, Dad, look, I know the relationship ship's a little strained, but they really need this, this time. They really need that. And the father reluctantly is like, okay, but only because you're asking me. Guys, it's true that we were so separated from the father that the only thing or one that could bring us back home and give us access to our dad was Jesus himself, okay? True. However, that reunion has already been accomplished. And now the father loves me just as much as He loves the Son. And He's glad in me just as He's glad in Jesus the Son. So I can ask the Father for what I need and the Father loves me and He's gentle and He wants to hear my, my voice. So it's not just that the Father is with us. The Father loves us and He's compassionate. There's a third reason we can have confidence. And I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to leave our narrative for today to say something about the Spirit. And you're like, well, John, you're just doing that so you can talk about every member of the Trinity. He's not really in there. But listen, he's all over the first half of John 16, so we can't read any of this without imagining the Spirit is present in every... Like, the foundation's already been laid. The Spirit is actively involved. Look at this in verse 13. Right? Jesus has already said it's to our advantage that the Spirit leaves. And when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. 
Why do we need the Spirit actively telling us who we are right now and what is to come? Uh, I really like this quote. I think this is the reason why. This is from Henry Nguyen, and he says this, When we are crushed like grapes, we cannot think of the wine that we will become. Guys, when our souls are being crushed, right? When we are deep in the valley of the shadow of death and we feel like there are feet trampling our souls, squeezing every ounce of juice out of our lives, we lose the ability to think truthfully about who I am right now and we lose the ability to imagine a restored, renewed, hopeful future in which the Father has turned our sorrow into joy. We lose it. We lose sight. We lose hearing. We lose it all. And in those moments, the Spirit is present with us to remind us who we are in the moment. You're a deeply loved son and a deeply loved daughter. The Father is present with you and He's not angry with you. He loves you and He's close and He loves to hear you ask Him for what you need. And Jesus, your resurrected King, has already demonstrated that He breaks the ice grip of death in the same way He's going to break the ice grip of, of, sor- of sorrow's icy grip of death over your soul. Your sorrow turned to joy. And so together, Father, Son, and Spirit collaborate in our darkest seasons to turn our deepest moments of sorrow into our most beautiful moments of joy down the road. I think what we struggle with, guys, what I struggle with is we want it to be immediate. But the valley of the shadow of death has a long, worn-down path. And that tension of the time that elapses between our deepest sorrows and those deepest joys makes us really uncomfortable. There's our tension. But in that tension, look at this promise, and I'll close with this. Verse 23, in that day, nope, 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 that's not it. Verse 20, the other truly, truly in this passage. I say to you, you will weep and you will lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful. There will be seasons of sorrow, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Then he gives the, the example of the woman, and then he says in verse 23 and 4, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, what? Do we believe that? Verse 24, until now you've asked nothing in my name. And then what what does Jesus command here, guys? Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. All right, so let's together as a family practice this joyful submission to Jesus as if we believe that what he's saying here is actually true. And these words give us permission to do two things. As a family, acknowledge the sorrow that is present in our lives. No faking, no pretense, no real, true, better Christians don't ever have sorrow or valleys of the shadow of death. No, Jesus has made it clear. Seasons of sorrow. In your seasons of sorrow, call out to the Father, acknowledge the sorrow, and ask so that He will make your joy full even in the valley of the shadow of death. Guys, that might be the best news because our culture would tell you that if you don't have joy, you need to change your circumstances so that you can find it. 
The gospel, however, says, no, your resurrected king is stronger than your circumstances. He climbs down into the valley of the shadow of death and he gives your sorrowful heart a joyful sense of existence even in the valley. Guys, some of you are running from the presence of God and you're pursuing joy. But joy is not found in running away from the Father. Joy is found in running back toward the Father who created you and gave you life. So together as a family, let's run back to Him in prayer now. Thank you.